But you know, it's good to be in God's house. And something that I encourage you to do, especially some of you who might be newer to the presence of God, I have learned that in worship, the more I give up of myself, the more God pours out. I want you to hear that, and I, I, really, I really want you to think about that, that the more I choose to surrender my time, my mind, to God, that the more he just pours in. And it really is about coming into the presence of God with a mindset that, you know what, all the problems in the world do not matter when I'm in the presence of God. And I think about that, the, the lyrics to the chorus, such an awesome God. Just proclaiming who he is, nothing about us, who God is, and proclaiming that that is the God we serve. That's the God of our lives, and that's, that's how I want to live, that's how I want you to live, that's how I want you to press in to the things of God, is trusting and knowing he's going to get you through. I was watching a video here this week, you know, Facebook, they've got the, the reels and stuff, Instagram, YouTube, they have all that now. And someone was blaming God. He said, why does God send people to hell? That was the question. And this, this person who didn't realize they were going to step into ministering to this other at, at the moment said, God doesn't send people to hell. We're all destined for hell. He rescues them for heaven's sake. And I want you to think about that, that when you step into the presence of God, this is God rescuing you because he loves you, he created you, and he does not want us to end up the direction we are going. Who can say amen to that? So we've been going through this series called Level Up, and it is all about giving you tools so that you can take your next steps with God. And last week we talked about fasting, its purpose and how to apply it to your life. And I, I would dare to say that if you weren't here last week, I believe that message is so important that I could almost preach it twice in a row. Um, but I'm not going to do that. But I, I'm telling you, you know, it's available through podcasts. It's available on our website. You need to listen to it. Because if we do not apply these things to our life, we are going to find ourselves always in a cycle of faith. And I don't know about you, but I don't like things that just go round and round. If my life is perpetually going round and round, I'm going to get sick. I'm not going to do well. But that forward progression... It doesn't make me sick. It, it makes me realize that I have purpose and I'm going somewhere. I must say today is not going to be my typical message. And uh, anyone who has sat under my ministry for the last three years know I seldom talk about my trips and the places that I go post-trip. And there, there's a reason I do that. Um, one, I don't want to bore you. And also, I don't want to get distracted by the things that we're doing here. I, I compartmentalize it. I, I separate the two. But last Monday, I left for Cuba. And, you know, through history, I've learned about Cuba, and I thought I understood Cuba. And I, I didn't. You know, my... My construction director for MOVE, Dave Bethany, has a very passionate heart for the ministry in Cuba. And he's been burdened for about 10 years in figuring out how can we help them. Because if you know anything about Cuba, and particularly open Bible churches in Cuba, there's about 900 churches, open Bible in Cuba. 800 of those churches are house churches. 
But to just say a house church does not give you a good picture. And all I can tell you is that they are one of the most oppressive governments on the face of the earth. And if you were to learn their real history, you would know that they have been living in oppression since the revolution in 1953. Um, if you were to see the conditions that they're in, I just want you to imagine for a moment, so I'm getting ready to travel there and I'm told, bring toilet paper, not just for donation for them, but for yourself. Hard to think about, right? That that's not readily available. I was told, bring food. Now, where we were staying, we could get breakfast and dinner provided for us at the, at the Airbnb so it wasn't a burden to the ones we were going to visit. And Dave said, he's like, bring, bring protein bars. We don't want to be a burden to them at all. So when we're having meetings with them for lunch, we can just eat what we brought. And so I, I brought my protein bars with, a, with a, uh, me. Imagine unreliable electricity that could be shut off for hours, if not days at a time, in an incredibly hot environment. Imagine having your money in the bank, a government-run bank, that currently will not let you withdraw cash out. You can only use your debit card, and you can only use that because then they can track each and every purchase that you make. Imagine not having enough gas for the garbage trucks, and so trash is piling up on the street corners. Having to ration gasoline, so there's only a few gas stations within a, in a region, and there being about a 25-car line at all times waiting to get gas. And yet, these are brilliant, loving, humble people with faith that God can do anything that are constantly being restricted and held back by their own government. And so in light of all that, I went to Cuba with many question marks. And there we are sitting at our uh, first meeting with the president of Open Bible Churches. His name is David Moreno. And we get done with the morning meetings and he says, come, you're going to have lunch. And I grab my backpack because I assume that it's time for me to eat my protein bars. And there we sit down at their table and they have an apartment that's adjoined to the church building. He's actually got a big, beautiful church. They have about 350 people in their church and it's about a three-story building. And so he's got an apartment there in the church and we sit down at their table and there's this huge spread of food there. And I immediately feel guilty. And same for everyone that went there. We all just felt guilty sitting there. And, and Dave says, you, you, you didn't have to do this. We, we brought our own food. We can, we can take care of ourselves. Do not feel obligated to feed us every day. We, we don't want to do that to you. And he David Moreno said something that I'm never going to forget. He stopped everything. He looked at us and he says, I want you to tell, I want to tell you about us as people. He said, we are Matthew 6, 33 people. And you are in my home. God has given us what we need for today. I've walked away from this trip humbled. And no offense, you'll see where I'm going. Frustrated with many people in our own church. Because of the mindsets that we get in. Because we have a lot of resources. We have so much, but it's never enough. It's never perfect. And almost weekly, I have someone that might be sitting in this room today that will either tell me that today was too hot or too cold. Right? And I might have both the same Sunday. That's happened. And yet, I go here, 
And most of their buildings are house churches that might be partially constructed, if not fully constructed, that is an eight meter by 20 meter long building. And it's a garage that serves as a church. There's barely enough power for them to keep the lights on and there might be a couple of fans in the room to circulate the air. But in that 24 foot by 60 foot space, about 200 people will regularly gather for worship. Church, we have so much to learn. But our attitudes, how we approach life, how we choose to live. I want to read for you out of Matthew chapter 6 this morning, starting at verse 28 and going through verse 34. And I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. You know, this is smack dab in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And I want you to hear what Jesus says. And I hope that it captures your heart this morning. Matthew 6, 28. He says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. This is David Reynolds' verse he gave us. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for each and every person that's in this room. God, for, for the believer and, Lord, for the unbeliever alike, that we can hear from you, know your heart, and, Lord, what you intend for us. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. i got to ask you a serious question. What are you seeking there are some people when they walk into the doors of the church, I want to say, why are you here? Why are you here? And I might say that for many reasons. I might say that to, to ponder thought, to, to get closer to God, or I might say, why are you here? It's because I've seen the patterns of your life, and so if you're going to press into God, then clearly things need to change. But if I said, what are you seeking, I guess I could also say, what is it that dominates your thoughts? What does the majority of your brain power go to? Here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the, uh, his concerns, or the concerns, I should say, or, or the worries of the world, and he says that these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Did you catch that? So the things that we typically worry about, like, you know, where are we going to get our clothes from, what, what are we going to wear, what are we going to eat, all these things. Jesus says, those dominate the thoughts of the what? The unbeliever. And I think that this is telling because I've been around so many lifelong churchgoers whose thoughts are dominated by the same thing. And it might not be in the context of what we eat or what we drink, but potentially perpetually, excuse me, we are perpetually worried about God's provisions. Where will the money come from? Will it come from X, Y, or Z? And what happens is when we are prone to focus on constant needs and how they are going to be met, we program our brains to continually look to the future with anxiousness. Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay. 
So that if we decided today, we are going to choose to be honest with ourselves, and we decided, okay, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to have a window view into the amount of time my brain thinks about everything it thinks about. And so you are going to pie chart and categorize all your thoughts on a daily basis. What categories would be on that pie chart? And what would be the majority of the time that you spent thinking about particular things? I don't know about you, but I, I, I state that and I, I, I think about it and I would be kind of terrified if I truly broke down what consumes my thoughts the majority of the time. It's similar to, have you ever sat down and calculated your month-to-month -month finances? charted out where your money is going. You know, when I was a youth pastor here, Wendy and I, we were both, uh, we were both in uh, managerial roles for Iowa Student Loan, and every morning on the way to work, we actually were able to align our schedules. We'd ride to work together, and we'd leave together. And every morning, we would stop by Quick Trip. And I would buy my routine things at Quick Trip, and then sure enough for lunch, every day we would go out for lunch. And I sat there and thought, how much money have I spent just on Quick Trip and lunch for work the past year? And so I decided to break down just one month of doing that. Church, I'm telling you, I wanted to throw up. I was sick to my stomach looking at a number that could be going to so many more things. And I think that if we examined our lives with a biblical perspective and purpose, and I think we were truly honest with what dominates our minds, we would also want to throw up. Task yourself with seeking the kingdom of God. So last year we had this, we had this phrase that we used that was the, the theme of the year, and we said, be intentional. Y'all remember that? Be intentional. And the purpose of saying be intentional in all things is starting with our walk with God. And so to seek the kingdom of God, it starts with our thoughts. Listen to Colossians 3, 1 through 3. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And so here we are, we're, we're being told, set our sights on the realities of heaven. And many of you are saying, I, I try, but I can't picture it. So I don't understand how to set my sights on something that is very real, but I cannot see it. Now what I can tell you is we need to train our thoughts. And what I believe you actively seek and pursue will affect you and change you, but you have to have a mind to do it. I just getting back in a Spanish-speaking country, I've spent much time in many Spanish-speaking countries. And usually by the end of my time there, the two years of high school Spanish haven't quite failed me, but I've never really truly practiced it. And so usually about the end of the trip, I'm getting comfortable enough to speak out what it is I know so that I can communicate. And it was Thursday morning and they had a prayer service. 200 people gathered for a prayer service on a Thursday morning at 9 o'clock. And they asked me to speak, and I'm standing there during worship. 
hearing everyone pour their hearts out. And JC, maybe you need to hold me accountable to this. I looked at my construction director and said, man, I really need to learn Spanish. I just need to learn it. And here I am, I'm reading the words, and I, I can understand a lot of uh, the words in a worship song. But I said, I just lack the confidence, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not speaking it out. And so I looked at Dave, and I said, we're going to Nicaragua in January 2025. I said, I'm going to be 60 to 70% fluent in Spanish by January 2025. He said, I'll take that bet. So needless to say, I've got some work to do. But what I had to do is I had to set my mind to it, get a deadline. And so yesterday, I'm like, well, here goes nothing. Get out my Duolingo app. And I started going through everything. And I sat there for about an hour. I'm like, okay, got to do it tomorrow. Got to do it the next day and start doing those building blocks. So I have to set my mind to do it. If you want to set your sights on the realities of heaven, you are going to have to set your mind that you are tasked with seeking the kingdom of God. And this is going to be accomplished by what you read, what you listen to, what you permit on your television or on your phone. Amen? your conversations with other people. And we have to choose to be purposeful in our pursuit, not being perfect that we're going to know all things, but that we just agree we are actively seeking. Everyone pretty much knows Jeremiah 29.11, but I want to read Jeremiah 29.11 through 13 to hear what the prophet is saying through the Lord. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, everyone say when. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I want to be clear. Seeking the kingdom of God doesn't require you to be perfect. It requires you to pursue him with a whole heart. And when you seek him, as we can look at this promise, when you seek him, you will find him. That is God's promise to you. Who embraces that? I embrace that, and I believe that applies to everything in this world, that what dominates your mind and thoughts will direct the course of your life. So think about it this way. If your thoughts are scattered, your life will be scattered. It requires discipline that needs to start somewhere. So when we say be intentional, we could say, be disciplined. Be disciplined in who you are and what it is you do. And then we need to live righteously. To live with righteousness. I believe that this is one of the most important steps in understanding God's provision. I don't know how many people, Pastor Morris, come on, in all your years of ministry, how many people were expecting some provision from God, expecting something big, but not living righteously. And how they'd be frustrated because God is just not doing what they expect he should be doing. And so I, I, I need to start with what does it mean to live righteously? And first off, there was only one that was truly morally perfect, and that was Jesus. But the definition of righteousness is to be morally right or justifiable. Now, to truly be righteous is to know God and to live according to his standard. We know that. The world has another definition of righteousness. 
So some of you are saying, well, what is God's standard? I want to read for you a verse that I think is significant. Now, it opens up a whole lot more doors to where we could go. But listen to 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. It says, but now you must be holy. Everyone say holy. You must be holy in everything you do. Does it say some of the things you do? No, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Now some of you might need to write this down so you can remember it. It is impossible for you to be holy without Christ. It is impossible. I see a lot of people working awful hard to try and be holy on their own. It's not working. It's not working for you. We, as an imperfect people, can never be made perfect without the blood of Jesus Christ. We can't. So you can work as hard as you want to be morally right, but it will never be righteousness in the eyes of God. The eyes of man, maybe. The eyes of God, it won't be. Do you see the difference? I've heard people look at some and just say, that person, that person is a good man. You ever said that phrase about someone before? That's a good person. You know, Jesus was once called good. And you know what he said? Why do you call me good? Only my Father in heaven. Only my Father in heaven is good. And so the world has a different standard for what is righteous and what is unrighteous. But I don't know about you. I want to follow the standard that is life-giving. This world leads to death. But the ways of God through Christ Jesus lead to eternal life. There's so many people I come in contact with that they are frustrated over the lack of provision that they might have expected from God. But here's the thing. We are getting out of order what God asks of us. Let's listen to Matthew 6.33 again. It says, live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Not try to live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Not do your best. Guess what? My best is not good enough. Live righteously through Christ to honor God, and he will give you everything you need. So to be morally right is to pursue a life of Christ and repent of sin. Church, are you hearing me? Now, it is impossible to be without sin the rest of our lives. We are going to slip up. But it is possible to move forward without sin committed to a pursuit of Christ daily. There's a difference. There's a difference between smacking myself accidentally with a hammer and letting some obscenities go to choosing to let obscenities come out of my mouth all the time. Do you see the difference? There's a big difference. And so sin is going to occur, but I can choose in a daily walk. If I want to walk with Christ in a daily walk, I am going to be without sin. I am going to remove it from my life. I am going to walk in repentance and say, that is not a part of who I am. Can I get an amen? Amen. And to continue to get our lives in order, something else we need to do is to learn to separate want from need. How many times have you said, I need this? And then through a separation of time, you're like, well, I didn't really need that at all. I didn't need it. 
I wanted it. Parents, that's a great lesson we have to teach our kids, isn't it? And so I just came from a place where I saw the need. I have never, I've been to about 19, 20 countries now. I have never seen a greater lack than I saw there. Where I was sitting there thinking just yesterday about my kitchen junk drawer. Y'all have a kitchen junk drawer? How often is it that you truly need something out of the junk drawer? Okay? But yet everything in my junk drawer would be an incredible resource in Cuba. That was hard for me to accept. You know, as we're, I, I want to thank everyone who donated for the items I took over there. Uh, I, I took, I took 49.8 pounds worth of stuff. I had to remove a shampoo bottle out of this suitcase. The suitcase was even donated so I could leave the suitcase and everything. And uh, We filled it to the brim with aspirin, with soap, with razors, with toilet paper, uh, bandages. And then uh, just thinking the last minute, something that my wife and I do, we take the toilet or not toilet paper, we take the paper towel roll and we stuff the plastic bags from like high V in it. And we use that as trash when we travel. And last minute I thought, Wendy, we should, we should take one of those and we should, we should put it in there. And on the uh, second day, second full day we were there of our meetings, we went to visit some of the house churches and Pastor David and his wife, Rebecca, they had started dividing up everything that was donated, and they were putting those, them in these plastic sacks. And we'd be going around to the house churches, and he'd be giving them the items donated that were going to be used right away. Church, we're so pampered in so many ways but our culture drives us not to be satisfied with who we are. But for us to live righteously is to realize our greatest need is Christ. That's our greatest need. And Jesus is that key to righteous living. And righteous living, it starts at following the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. So if I were to tell you that you should be applying the Sermon on the Mount principles to your life, and you might say, Pastor, where do I start? You start in Matthew chapter 5. You read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus is teaching us on what it takes to follow him. The right way of living. And so to allow those principles of living, that they be the guideline for our life. And if there's anything that I've learned from this last week, is that what they're regularly taught there in Cuba, follow the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. Follow those principles. And that kind of living church will, will, will display the kingdom of God to those around you. Are you following me? To truly break it down, to truly live the way Christ is telling you to live, then others will see and know, and your life will be a walking testimony. And to be clear again, it doesn't take someone who has lived a perfect life. Thank God that he doesn't just use the upper class Thank God that he doesn't just use the most talented. God uses the obedient. God uses the obedient. And that, that is how God will use you to display his power. It's not going to be in anything you do. It's going to be what God does through you. Listen to 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. Paul says, instead God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless 
to shame those who are powerful. It was these principles that Jesus taught that caused uneducated fishermen to be the leaders of the early church movement. It was these principles that Jesus taught that the heart of God was in a young boy that helped him slay a giant that defied one of the most powerful armies on the face of the earth. It was these principles of Jesus Christ that humbled a man named Saul who killed Christians and humbled him so much to the point that he was driven to the feet of Jesus and turned his life into suffering for the name of Jesus. He led three missionary journeys and wrote over the half the New Testament that we read today. We need to commit to being God's men and God's women. Seeking the kingdom of God. Living a righteous life. And then seeing God provide. God wants to be your provision. He wants to be your provision. And so can you truly look at all the things that cloud your mind, the things that you focus on day to day, and can you say that you trust God in the provision? You and I, we display what we trust when we have a need. Where do we go to when we have a need? Because God's desire is that we go directly to him with every need and trusting that he is going to provide. And this is probably why I can go to a place like Cuba and learn from them. They can teach me a whole lot more than I can teach them. And we are blessed with vast resources that most of our needs are provided for. If you get sick, see a doctor. You have financial burden that's going to last a period of time, get a loan. Find someone maybe that has the resources to provide for you. But what these things have caused is a lack of dependence on God. Okay? And yet I can tell you that God wants to be the first place we go to when we have a need. Listen to Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Jesus says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And I got to tell you, most of us, the way that we live, we got about one knock in us. We got about one knock before we're ready to go bang down another door. Well, that didn't work, so guess what? I'm going to go down the street. Because I can get what I need down the street. But if you were to go to God, as Jesus teaches us this principle in Luke chapter 12, if we were to go to God expecting him to give us our daily need or give us bread, as that story illustrates in Luke 12, are you going to keep knocking knowing that it is God who ultimately provides for everything in our lives? And if you do, do you see how that goes hand in hand with seeking him? Because we trust and know that he is the God of the universe. He created us. He provides all. All this is his already. That is how it develops that we are not only seeking in God, but we are living in purpose. And then as we read his word, we're going to be living righteously. You see, God proves himself to us when we go to him trusting that he is going to be our provider. And what that does is it trains our minds for dependence on him. I believe, to really break this down, because I know that it, this can go to a pretty deep level, trusting him has to start somewhere. You might need to write that down. Trusting him has to start somewhere. Because I believe that in our walk with Christ, 
God is going to present an obstacle. An obstacle of whether or not you are going to trust in faith. And he is going to wait to see how you are going to respond to that obstacle. He's going to see if you step out in trust, or he's going to see it if you go to the means of what you know versus what you don't know. And I believe that if we step out in trust, it's not that the rest of our lives all of a sudden are going to be in complete order, that we have, we have need of nothing, we'll never have anything else we ever ask from God. What it's going to do is God's going to say, okay, they trusted me in this. Now there's going to be a greater obstacle. Will they believe in me for now this mountain that needs to be moved? Will they believe in me for the large provision because they believed in me for the small? It's about training your mind, the way you think, the way you approach God. And so, this next statement is a challenging one because it takes time. But live your life focused on what God has given you for today. We preach and preach about having enough worries of its own for today. But train your mind to be able to thank God for what he has given you. And that we can focus our minds on appropriately approaching God, only worrying about today's provision. Now to train our mind, I think we really need to apply Romans 12 verse 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. I've heard it said, if you want to truly renew your mind, they say for the addict, because there's, there's a chemical component in your brain that needs to change over time. For the addict, it takes somewhere between three and five years to renew your mind, to really change how you think. And so for you to commit to living for God daily and only looking at each day as having enough worries of its own, it is going to take time. It is going to take you seeking the kingdom of God and seeking to live righteously with purpose and task yourself with that purpose. Going back to this last week as I'm wrapping up, in 2013, my construction director, Dave Bethany, went to Cuba. It was his very first time. And on that trip, he was taken around to some of the house churches. And he went to a house church where he won't forget it because when I say the resources are limited, I mean, ladies, Pastor David made it very apparent that when we bring in our speakers to speak, not to talk about cultural things that are different between like the U.S. or other countries and them, because there was a speaker that came in that talked about how ladies love to go shopping. And he said, shopping doesn't happen here. We can't shop. And so that would fall flat. And so Dave is there at one of these house churches. And Dave was commenting on how much he loved the pastor's hat. It was a baseball hat that featured a local Cuban team. And Dave just commented on how much he liked it. And the man took it off and said, here, it's yours. Dave said, I can't, I can't do that. And Dave said, hold on, hold on, hold on. And he ran back to the vehicle, grabbed his hat, and he said, here, here, you have my hat. 
And he's talking to this pastor, and this pastor has been in ministry at this time for about six years. And he said, well, for two years we've been working on building our church. And Dave looks at the building, and the walls are this high. Now, they're meeting for church still weekly, but the walls were about one meter high. And Dave starts talking to Pastor David Moreno, and he says, is, is there anything we can do? He's like, I, I run a construction ministry. Like, is there anything we can do to get this built? I will make a way. He says, no, no, you can't. He says, and, and a matter of fact, this pastor has the faith to see this through. I'm not worried about him. So that was 2013. We were at that church on Wednesday. I want to show you that church. So you see the red doors right there. That's the red doors, which is the, uh, the right side of the house. That's the house that's on the left side. And that other is the church. Go to the next slide. This is the inside of the church building. Now, you see that, and I would tell you that about 200 people meet there regularly. Only so many people sit on the inside, and the rest stand outside the church as the doors are open. And Gabe, you can go to the last slide, and then that's the church. It, as we talked to the pastor, it took six years to construct the church building. But it's standing there today. The next pastor we went to visit, it was a female pastor that their church was next to the military base. And she said, last week she was coming home, they had an evening service. And she said she was noticing all the power was out in the area. And she said, we're not going to have, we won't have church tonight. There won't be anyone there. She pulls up and there's already a hundred people standing outside of the church as it's getting ready to become dark out. And she said, we had 200 people there for our evening prayer service. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much God has provided, yet there are realistic needs in this room. There are needs. And first and foremost, I think that we need to appropriate, we are children of God. And if we trust and look to God, that he is going to provide for each and every need. But we need to start with just being satisfied that we are called children of God. That we choose to lay our troubles down at his feet and just simply pursue him. To not be consumed with the day-to-day -day troubles. But just say, God, I have to give it to you. It's yours. And so I believe God is giving you the opportunity to say, I am going to completely devote myself to you. I am going to task myself with seeking the kingdom of God to pursue righteous living. If you choose to do that, it comes down to one key word that we've already used today. It comes down to surrender. Surrender your understanding. Surrender your needs. Surrender the, that worldly standard. Say, God, I turn it over to you. I give it to you. Now use me. Build me up. Lord, help me live righteously. And then you're going to see God provide for you in so many ways that it becomes a great testimony. But the question is, can you surrender the things that dominate your mind that are not godly? I want you to just bow your heads. I think in realizing that we are children of God there are many things in my life that I have had to repent over because I have not 
always acted like a child of God to where I just need to recommit to seeking his will and purpose for my life seeking him and if you say pastor I I need a reset I need to retrain my mind to seek the things that he has for me not the world and if you say pastor today's the day I need a reset you stand to your feet? If that's you, would you stand to your feet? Today's the day where I reset. Where I say, I am going to work on tasking myself with seeking the kingdom of God. Trusting in His provision. And it comes down to evaluating, doesn't it? opening our lives up and saying, God, search my heart and know me. That you might reveal the parts of me that are not of you. Let's surrender to him right now, shall we? Father God, thank you so much for, Lord, how your word speaks and teaches us how to live. And God, there are so many parts of our lives that speak contrary to what it means to be a child of God. And Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will reveal that in us, that we will not like that part of who we are, that God, we will actively task ourselves with seeking your kingdom and living that righteous life. God, that the ways your son told us how to live we will apply because God in that right way of living it is life giving it doesn't speak to death it speaks to life and God we want to be life giving to those around us and so God may we be people of discipline May we be people that understand that the only right way to live is through your Son, Jesus Christ. And may we have a firm commitment in that. Thank you so much, Father God. I praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.